The Max Welcome. and Tony Show, episode 24. I'm excited. I've known our guest since I was 19 years old. And I've, I've known, known him since I was like nine years old, I think. I think I was on a I show could, at nine years old. It could yeah. be before that. Yes, yeah, yeah, you made yeah. your debut on I made one what, of the yeah. many shows I've been <laughs> With us, uh, a legend in um, Chicago newspapering. Uh, my favorite uh, columnist uh, of the last 50 years. <laughs> not saying a lot, though. Rick Kogan. <laughs> well, I it actually not... is. You know, when you first broke in, I mean, there were from some formidable talents out there. There was. Well, almost all of whom influenced me one way or another. That, yeah, that, that, I mean, there was Mike Royko. That used was... to be the great thing about newspapers, is there was this kind of generational influence that was passed down to youngsters coming in the business. I don't, it doesn't right. exist anymore. You could tell because when you, um, when I was 19 and 20, I started writing for a little lit magazine up on the north side called Knit and Wit. I remember Knit and Wit. Yeah, and um, you know, you'd go and talk to these revered presences like uh, you know, Mike Royko or Studs Terkel. Would or, Mike actually talk to you? If you yeah, he did. He did. I wrote, I wrote a I wrote a, a memorial about Nelson Aldrin, you yeah, know, for the yeah. magazine. And, uh, yeah, he did. He was actually uh, kind of quite nice to me on the phone. Then when he met me, it's like, oh, God. You can never tell with my kid. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he call you Picasso? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what that was. He never he called me by my name. Right. <laughs> well, the great thing, Max, whenever you would be brave enough or someone would be bold enough to approach Mike in uh, his natural environment, which was uh, a bar. For, for better or worse, the Billy Goat Tavern. Right. Uh, you could never, never know what the reaction might be. Unless, yeah. of course, you were a beautiful young blonde woman. Uh, he, yeah. He uh, adored beautiful young blonde women and was kinder to them than he would have been to yes, even, even the stunningly handsome yes. 19-year-old Tony <laughs> I see. Patrick. I see. Yeah. Well, how how I've never seen uh, Mike Royko physically. Is he a big guy? Is he is he like a tall guy? He was tall. He was, he was. He was taller than I was. Don't okay. You think, yeah. Tony, that that it surprised a lot of people because his his column bug, the photo that goes with the columns, as we call them in the business, yeah. made him appear kind of nebbishy. You know, yeah, bald yeah. glasses, yeah, glasses, big he Adam's looked, apples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was also very athletic. I mean, this guy played softball until he was. You know, in his mid sixties, right? Like, the, you know, did died. the Tribune have their own team and stuff? And well, like, you know, he played for the Daily News. Okay, you know? his okay. paper was gone long before you were born. Right, right, right. right. In fact, they just—it was just March fourth, nineteen seventy-eight. Nineteen seventy-eight was wow. the last time. Death no of the kidding. Daily News. Yeah, the death and, of the Daily and, News. And and actually, a very bad sign for the direction of journalism. I mean, the afternoon news shows had just come into vogue. And instead of, you know, reading considered journalism, uh, people start watching guys with blow-dried hair. One oh, of the other problems, man. Tony, was the, and Max, was the spread of the suburbs. That, yeah. you know, the, the suburbs did spread the reach of Chicago. And no one thought, well, because what I remember in the... Uh, in the seventies, uh, never had a bureau out there. They never had they even. They never, they never had the suburban. They never, like, even more important, they never had a printing plant out there. So yeah. you would, during rush hour, see daily news delivery trucks just sitting on the expressway, yeah. and if you could have been a little bit prescient, you'd say, 
oh man, people are going to get home and their papers aren't going to be there. Yeah. There was probably another generation of readers of afternoon papers if they could have gotten the afternoon papers. Well, the Daily News wow. used to come out th- between 3 and 3.30. Okay. Yeah. Um, and people and would, sometimes guys would still be writing at uh, until, oh, sure. you were, know, like noon. I mean, well, yeah, in the old days, I mean, we're talking to Max, who's like, what's a newspaper? Uh, yeah. I, know, I know you do know. But there were there were multiple editions of the paper in the same way now. The, you the know. red streak, the red yeah. flash. Sure. The, yeah. Sure. And I think that's what really killed afternoon paper before they deserved yeah. to die. But it was March 4th, 1978 was the last edition of the Daily News with the greatest, one of the great headlines, just a downplayed headline. It was So Long, Chicago. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't that yeah. great? <laughs> yeah. Is it, it was great? Also, I don't know. After it was also, well, it was 104 years old, too, yeah. but it was that still like Johnny, okay, So Long, exactly. Chicago. Wow. It was, it was also the greatest newspaper in the history of the city. Um, I'll give you that, Tony. It gave, I'll give you it that. gave the world Mike Ryko, Rick Kogan, <laughs> Roger Ebert. <clears throat> no, um, Roger Roger always worked for the Sun-Times. You know who it did give the world? Shulian, John Shulian. But you know who it really did give the world? <laughs> who? Earlier than that. Uh, Tony is the world's greatest artist. Max and Tony are both uh, great, uh, great actors. Uh, I just happen <laughs> to know newspaper history for all that's going to get me. Uh, yeah, say, come see Rick Kogan talk about newspaper history at the uh, Caesar's Palace. Pretty fascinating, though. At Caesar's Palace. Well, th- they had a, a very young man who became the first movie critic for the Chicago Daily News before he went on to other things. That first movie critic for the Chicago Daily News was a character named Carl Sandburg. Oh, my goodness. No way. Yeah. And That's so, right. He wrote about movies. <laughs> yes. But the greatest really? thing. In the old days. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the real old days. And one of the greatest things about Sandburg. And I've been around long enough. I mean, and Sandberg used to try to seduce my mother by playing the guitar in various hotel rooms when he was really old and my mother was really young and cute. But what I remember even more about Sandberg, having dug them up and read them, you know who Carl Sandberg's favorite movie star was? Who he raved about almost in a sexual way. Who's that? In print. Rin Tin Tin. That's a little weird. It yeah. is very, he literally thought of Ren Tin Tin as the finest actor. There are pieces, I, I should have brought something that says <laughs> he, he has the emotion of a, of a great actor. And I'm thinking, you really? The you fucking know, dog. This is a dog, right? Yeah, yeah, this is Ren Tin Tin the dog, right? Yeah, you were senile when you were young, and then you tried to seduce my mother, so you get what you deserve. But <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a little odd, you know, oh, knowing a, a literary light was trying to uh, knock boots with your mom. I mean, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure he was the first or less. My mother was a real. Oh yeah, I, you know, I know. Who else? I'm not sure he tried to seduce her, but when she was young and writing, not writing, but working for the Tribune in various capacities before she met my father, the legendary Colonel McCormick, isolationist, anti-Semite, oh yeah, alcoholic, yeah. Uh, absolute he used to bring, He used yeah. to bring his dogs to the office, and there was there still is a little doghouse space in the Tribune Tower, soon to be. 
abandoned you had by the nothing but wacko owners over there. Oh man. no, kill oh, man! You know, you ain't ain't getting... No shit. And he you used know? to he used to ask me. He would demand that uh, uh, Mary Lou Cavanaugh come up and walk his dogs. And my mother would come up and get his dogs and walk them up and down Michigan Avenue. And then later, when she was going to school at nights, the colonel uh, thought it would be appropriate for him to drive her there. Uh, with his chauffeured limousine. There I you go. My mother, if, mm. if he had grabbed her or touched her or, you know, at me too, uh, he, he, she certainly would have told me because my mother was never loath to tell any story <laughs> yeah, about right. anybody. One of the great Irish uh, qualities wow. she had. Yeah, we do not spare the details. No, you know. <laughs> no we <laughs> certainly <laughs> don't. Not at all. But I mean, that's why one of the reasons that this business still has such a lure to me is the incredible history. I mean, just. Well, you know who else was started out as a movie critic? was James Agee. Yeah, oh, sure. Sure, yeah. a great uh, one, too. Who's James Agee? He was a, uh, a great novelist and critic. and uh, His best okay. book, Let Us Not Praise Famous Men, yeah. which he uh, took to the road with the great photographer Walker Evans and okay. did what is probably the definitive uh, prose poem and oh, photographs of the Depression. Yeah, wow. yeah, it's yeah. an astonishing, astonishing book. And also A Death, and the, a death in the Family. Um, and and he also championed a lot of writers, Carson McCullers, and you know, I mean, he was a he was kind of uh, a hero to writers. Okay, because his his talent was uh, reflexive, and and he could do a lot of things. He could not only do journalism; he could write novels. He could write plays. Uh, James A. G. was a very bright guy. Died, you know, way too young. Yeah. He was forty-five. He was when like, was he? Oh, okay. So when was he reviewing the, movies? Like what kind 30s, of movies? Thirties, forties, forties, and fifties. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so nothing I'm familiar Matt, with. Me, do, do you read papers now? I mean, do you, um, and it's no offense. Uh, no, 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 no. no that's fine. I'll, um, most people don't. No, I. I I do on the internet, but no, I, a physical copy of a newspaper. No, I just, I just don't buy. I, my dad buys a, I still a buy New York Times or a USA yeah, Today. He'll yeah. buy those every day, or, or you know, whatever he can get his hands on. He'll look at it because I think. Well, in what Paris, is it? The only thing we could get was the the, the Herald the Tribune. Brief. They still do the Herald Tribune. No, it's not the Herald Tribune. They had the, they had the New York Times, but in you know, like the McNugget size yeah, uh, sure. thing, where they just sure. give you bite sized stuff. Is there something uncomfortable for you to read it on the computer as opposed to holding like the physical you know what? copy? I I grew up loving newspapers. Same and, here. Yeah, you know, watched my father read. Mike Royko's column wrapped every morning. He right. Was just, um, and, you know, I'm one of eight children, so I mean, what was interesting to me is that this was so infinitely more fascinating to him than whatever was going on around him. And yeah. he, he kind of he would sometimes bring the paper to work with him and, you know, read the rest of it during the day, work the crossword puzzle. I would have to, you know, beg and cajole him to get the uh, the Sunday comics with Dick Tracy, which right. is what I, the very first thing I started drawing as a kid. So yeah, I mean, they always had this. Um, they used to have this big cartoon on the front, Ripley's Believe It or Not, you sure. know, uh, 
four color um, uh, well, see, that wide was, panel. Uh, Joe Medill, Joe Medill, yeah. who uh, was uh, worked with Colonel McCormick, was the guy who invented the Sunday color Sunday comics. Wow! Uh, as an inducement for people to buy the newspaper, and he was uh, something of a genius. A guy came in his office. Here's another old newspaper story. A talented cartoonist came in his office and said, "I've got an idea for, <laughs> I've got an idea for a strip here," and it was a strip of a little boy. And he said, uh, "Yeah, what do you call it?" Well, I call it Little Orphan Otto. And uh, Medill said, "Wait a minute! Now I got an idea. Put a dress on the kid and call him Annie." Hence, giving Annie. birth to Little Orphan Annie. Right. Yeah, an inspired Harold idea. Harold Gray. Yeah. Was yeah. the man. He yeah. lived in uh, for a time. He lived in Lombard, Illinois. Were these comics kind of this? Ploy to kind of get kids to transition from the comics to the newspaper as they got oh, older. Yeah. You think? Yeah, okay. I think it was a real ploy. I think it was really meant initially for adults. I think when comics came to the fore at the turn of the 19th century, a great that many it was, adults that nobody were thought of kids reading comics. Right. You know, right. it wasn't you like know, ooh. And a great many good. adults were were not literate. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. So the newspaper became the the bulletin board of uh, life of life uh, precisely. Okay. I mean, particularly in Chicago, you know, at the turn of the century, we had six dailies. Yeah, I know. Or you eight, know? it depends. Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, not counting, you know, the the Polish <laughs> well, paper that's exactly. going on forever, sure. and then sure. later on, the Defender. Yeah. I mean, there were, you know, was, I can remember the Chicago American, the Chicago Today, um, you know, all of these. Uh, sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes, Daily Chicago yeah. Tribune, man. There were four. Daily newspapers in our lifetime, Tony, at least. What Absolutely. would you say the two biggest ones are today? Would it be the Tribune and oh, sometimes. sometimes? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, just because of attrition. I mean, just yeah. because journalism has shrunk. But, I mean, if you look at either paper over the last 10 years, I mean, there's been a s- s- steady... Oh. Thinning and and some really dangerous stuff. I mean, one of the reasons that we have Donald Trump right now is we don't we didn't have uh, the the talent level of investigative reporters on staff at newspapers that they had in the early 1970s. We also have a lot of and bureaus. You know, the bureaus are almost all closed yeah. around the world. But we also they, have a lot necessary. of news that's like that is indeed fake, fake. and. Uh, Donald Trump took advantage of that. Well, the other thing he took advantage of, but I want to ask both of you this. Donald Trump, there's no chance that he could be president of the United States, as sadly is the case, without the goofy reality TV presence on The Apprentice. I mean, mean, so much of this stupid political game all over the place is a matter of name recognition and familiarity. And I guarantee you... I hate the word branding. It's my brand. It's like... Well, he had a brand, though, and I guarantee you, you, I guarantee you, most... You know, there are hundreds of thousands of people who voted for him because, well, I I like the way he is on TV with no further thought to... Anything about him. Well, also, that I mean, whole also, angle, it's like, oh, well, have you seen The Apprentice? He's a great businessman. He's going to get us out of debt. He's going to do this. Not. And it's just, you know, he's, yeah, he's actually. No, yeah. but the way that but, show would. No, you're right. Uh, you know. You're right. Well, in the same way that, that people are now saying, well, you know, Oprah should run for president. Really? Bullshit. Why should yeah. Oprah run no. for president? Are you no. out of your minds? Or uh, even on the worst rock. levels, The Rock, you Kanye know, West. Yeah. I don't think that's a real thing. But, well, you know. Remember, you know, Jesse Ventura was elected senator 
in Minnesota. I mean, it it can. He, he, he ran as an independent, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he got in the debates, and then the whole thing sort of changed. It can to, happen. To his credit, he he was much more well versed in public. Oh, policy. no question, no oh, question. Than, than this than, fucking. Yeah, oh, of course. You know. He's a, he's actually he's actually got some great amazing <laughs> points. I, yeah. I unfortunately there's a part of me that some, has uh, a soft side for Jesse Ventura. Oh, me too. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I loved him in Predator. Oh, know? come on, dude. You don't like some of his politics aren't that crazy. Well, like he no, has some really good innovative Max, ideas. He's like every other libertarian, you know. Eighty yeah, percent of it makes perfect sense. Twenty percent of it is hit in the head with a fucking bat. That's you know? that's a perfect like, way to put it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, when they start saying, well, it shouldn't be public schools. You don't have the government educating your kids. Given the nature of the press and given the nature of the media now and given the nature of who is president of the United States and given the fact that people are saying, well, Oprah should run now, it has now become this kind of, all of these jobs become like celebrity jobs. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, that is a really dangerous. It is a really, really frightening. frightening to me. I think H. L. Mencken's great quote about no one go broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Yeah. Or or uh, burning for the lesser of two evils assures us that at some point a damn fool will be elected. Yeah. And boy, how right he was. You know, the American people look at Donald Trump, and first of all, he played on their fear. Secondly. The one thing he was very careful to do, and it was like evilly genius, is absolve all of these, you know, unemployed, um, frightened, uh, you know, genuinely kind of terrified people that yeah. he assured them that none of their woe uh, was in the least bit their own responsibility. Yeah, I know. That's dangerous. And yeah. You know, the same guys who outsourced all the manufacturing jobs right, right, right. overseas is guys like him. Yeah. It's absolutely him. And I mean, people look at him and they think, wow, you know, I'm like that. I'm like that guy. I, I, uh, I'm I, not politically correct. I'm. They don't think of themselves as uh, working class or lower working class or disadvantaged. They think of themselves as temporarily embarrassed, you know, billionaires right. like Donald Trump. Right. Right. But also, you know, there is the, you know, the people do not, whether they are victims or not, very few people will blame themselves. For Absolutely. And then and as Donald a result, Trump they gave them boogeymen. That's right, know? because it's very difficult to, to blame the faceless head of the corporation that moved your jobs and the jobs of all yeah. of your friends in your small town to Mexico or to, you know, or to Holland China, or to China. Or to or China. Or... You don't know this person. It's very hard to blame them. So you blame Oh, these immigrants who are coming in and exactly. taking my jobs. It's Muslims well, no and jobs. Mexicans. It's like so he really? turned, yeah, he the, turned he turned he created these objects of evil for these people to blame and he is the savior. Horrifying. Yeah, I yeah, mean the whole myth that well Mexicans are coming and taking his jobs. It's like oh, you mean you really wanted to be in lawn maintenance or work in a restaurant or mm -hmm. Or cut that garments, was, or yeah, they, cut clothes. You know, the Mexican immigrants have, without a doubt, you know, kind of the worst jobs out there. Yeah, they take and, the jobs nobody wants. That's and, right. And, it's, and you know what? They work thirteen hours a day. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I I know a whole bunch of these folks, and they're like, to me, uh, downright heroic. I well, mean, can you yeah. imagine having to leave your own country 
to find sustenance. Leave your to, family is to, to at stay that. alive, to feed your family. Yeah. yeah. That that takes some guts, you know, and and, and a lot of guts. Well, you know, the thing is, it's not, it's no longer Americans chasing the American dream. It is what it has always been. It is people from other places Mm -hmm. chasing the American dream. Because I think most people, two or three generations into the United States, they don't know what the dream is anymore. They've lost complete track. They should go look at, they should go look at what their grandparents went through or even their parents to rediscover they should also remember that the country was founded by a bunch of very wealthy white farmers who didn't want to pay taxes, <laughs> which is why they came over here. Yeah. You know? And, we took and they thought it was okay to what? own people. And we and sure took care of the people who lived here, man. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think maybe Sitting Bull and Red Cloud would have liked to tighten up those borders about 200 years ago? Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. thought, you know, maybe all these white Europeans, maybe it's just not such a banging idea. Bringing their germs yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guns, germs, and steel. Yeah. You know? Well, I just think that the whole, you know, the political discourse has just gotten so, so... Mushy. Painful. Empty-headed. Oh, yeah. You and know. painful. And, and, and it has the potential. I mean, the whole... And she's not going to run. She'd be an idiot if she ran. But the whole Oprah as the savior of American democracy is is so... Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. It shows, it shows that daft. we as people are willing to kind of not learn how to know how actual politics work, and we just want to just, like, pick the simple choice of, like, oh, it's Oprah versus Trump. Like, it's a pay-per-view we, yeah, boxing exactly. match. It's exactly. very no, that's scary. So, that's and we want, so we want the easiest, most convenient bromide. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, yeah, what's the easiest thing? We all know Oprah. We all know what she looks like. We'll, we'll recognize her face. Yeah. On it's simple. We just want everything. Yeah. Kind of broken down to the smallest thing That's and right. fed to us. It's kind of, it's kind of like going back to the, uh, you know, the newspapers and how, sort of Twitter and all this social media stuff has just ruined it with one little like clickbait line that you could just click and that's all you want your news to be. It's just like, oh, well, I can be caught up on all my sports. And who cares mm-hmm. about the rest? That's all yeah. I need. I, who won the Academy Awards? And you're filtering out. Your news. At least when you got the newspaper, you had all these sections that you would at least be tempted to look into and at least just turn the page Good a little point, bit. Because there was something, I gotta tell you guys, there's something so much more seductive about an in-print newspaper in there and then there oh, I is love them. something online. It is, there is a tactile thing, there is a... Uh, there is a relationship. You are holding something in your hands. Right. You are in control of it in a way that you are not by moving either your finger or a mouse. Mm-hmm. I, there's something very alluring you know what? about I that. I buy uh, the Sunday Tribune and I get the Sunday New York Times. And there are parts that I just don't want to see. Sure. You know. Well, of course. It's you like know. a menu at a restaurant, man. Yeah. There are lots of things yeah. you don't eat. Yeah. But, but at I least always, you know it's grab, there. I always grab your column. I grab yeah. the comics. Especially when it's about the two of you in Paris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is my favorite. That's yeah, probably that the last my, time I touched a newspaper. That was my yes. favorite edition in the last 10 years of the <laughs> No, no. We, you know, I read uh, uh, your your column on Mammoth's novel. Novel. Maybe see, buy, was, I bought the novel. That's an interesting. 
same thing. Yeah. I mean, here's David, who is not head, and who's a Chicagoan, who's identified as a Chicagoan. But basically, I mean, David did He's not grow, lived here in, since you know. 1977. Yeah. Uh, but he basically, he did indeed grow up here. But where is Chicago? Sexual perversity in Chicago. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, if you believe it's set in Chicago, it could be actually set almost anywhere. Yeah. yeah. American Buffalo. Set in Chicago. He's done some other modest writings about Chicago, yeah. but David is considered a Chicago writer on the same level with our friends, our friends and colleagues, Mike, yeah. Studs, uh, Theodore Dreiser, uh, Willard Nelson Motley, Algren, yeah. Yeah, Nelson Algren. And that's yeah. a very, I found that very interesting. This book. It deserves to put him certainly on a more elevated level. Didn't he used to live in Seattle or the Pacific Northwest? I don't think he ever lived there. He lived for a good long time in Vermont uh, for a time in Boston, and now he lives in a very, very nice place in Santa Monica. Not a you know grotesque kind of mansion, yeah. but he's got a great setup. And when I went out to visit him just for a day, for four hours, it, 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 here's my idea. I'm so jealous of the life of David Mamet. i got to tell you. Yeah, he's got he's got a very nice house. He's got one of the most beautiful, talented uh, women for a wife, Rebecca Pigeon, Rebecca a singer, Pigeon. Walter I, Pigeon's daughter. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Trust me. Really? Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> trust me. Yeah. No, she's the granddaughter. She's, no, I don't think so. She's the daughter of an MIT professor. She was born in the United States. No, I he read was from that she was Walter Pigeon's daughter. Who fake news, man. Fake yeah. news. It's fake all news. around. Yeah, fake exactly. news. Totally. All right. Totally. You were trying to news. spread that fake news <laughs> totally. on, our, on our real news outlet, See, but that's the Max a, and Tony Yeah, this show. is this is real news. This is real and stuff. And this is Max yeah. and Tony's <laughs> podcast. Everything you hear here is real, one hundred percent, or as as best we can. And they guarantee it's real. Uh, well, she, she's, she was an actor, too. She, she's an she actress. She was in the she, heist. Yeah, she's a singer. She's a singer. Did Mamet write heist? Yeah. yeah. What did yeah. he write besides Heist and Glengarry Glen Ross? The Untouchables. America. He wrote, you know, the, he wrote Untouchables. the Untouchables. Yeah, that's that too. Right. That's right, Tony. Thank you. That gives yeah. him certain Chicago credibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chicago credibility. The scene under the bridge with uh, John Connery. Pull, they speaking, pull a knife. You speaking, pull a gun. <laughs> speaking of the Oscars, he won. Uh, he won Best uh, yeah. Supporting Actor for that part. For his. Yeah. For his. For his. He's for never. Cop. He just never changes his accent. But yeah. we're all. Oh, he doesn't we're all convinced he's, he's an Irish Chicago cop. Yeah. Right. James pull Bond. A knife, yeah, he's you James. pull a gun. Yeah, he's James. They send one of you to the <laughs> hospital. You send, send one, one of those to the, the mall. I was in I was in an Uber uh, <laughs> and my and my uh, driver was talking about all this gangster history and all that. He goes, Yeah, man, he goes, and I just saw the Untouchables. I didn't really like that movie. We were all just laughing. It was just like one of those. This things. was, was recently, like, like, yeah, because there's they're off on so much stuff. I mean, that movie is just totally for like dramatic well, flair, right? Frank, that, yeah. Frank Nitti did not get thrown off a <laughs> yeah. building. No, no. In fact, he kind of died in a way cooler way, didn't he? He like he jumped in front of a train. Jumped Feds in front of a train him, by yeah. choice yeah. or or uh, like uh, train on Park. accident or by choice. You know, <laughs> that's way cooler. Well, David's book, this new novel called Wonderfully Chicago, it's set in the twenties, and it messes around with time. You know, yeah. Some, someone someone uh, called me and said, how, how could you recommend this book? It's terrible. The St. Valentine's Day massacre happened here and something happened here. Oh, I said, look, it's not a history mm-hmm. book. It's not an academic mm-hmm. history. Who cares if it's sort of like more in a dream-like Jim Jonathan Igg's book about the St. Valentine's Day massacre? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know who did that? Cops. Yeah. What John claimed it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't actual. It was the Miranda. Yeah. The Mar- Capone. So it game. was cops, it was and cops. the cops used Capone. 
oh, yeah. to kind of cover themselves up. Okay. Yeah. And and Capone knew they couldn't get him, so he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You no, know, Capone, who, he was in Miami when it happened. Yeah, do so. you guys do you guys believe that or Yeah, I do. John's okay. evidence is very sound. Okay. Yeah. But wow. you know, one of the things for David, and it's true for any of us, and I hope it's true for you, Max. If you live in Chicago, you are you are surrounded by these stories. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you wander down in Jackson Park, and you I, you can't see the old Ferris wheel from 1893, but yeah. you know it was there. Yeah, I'll tell you a great story about the Ferris wheel. Tim Samuelson, who's the cultural historian for the city. Oh, I know him. Yeah, yeah. Tim's a great yeah. guy. He'd be great on the show. Uh, he got a call from the University of Chicago and said, "Hey, we found a, a huge, like I don't know, lump of concrete buried, you know, 50 feet in, in in the ground in the midway, and we don't know what it is, and we don't know if we should." just exploded or chip it out or something. Tim said, well, I don't know what it is. And he went down and uh, explored, and he found that it was one of the foundations for the Ferris wheel. That's, oh, no kidding. Yeah. Whoa. And he said, you know what, fellas? It's not worth anything. But why don't you just leave it there and build the ice rink on top of it? That's really uh, isn't cool. that great? Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's all around us. I wonder how many guys are buried. It's incredible. In too. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. You know, David went to school at Francis Parker for a couple of years. You know, half a block from the garage where the St. Valentine's Day massacre yeah. Now, he's occurred. older than you, though. He's 70, which is not that much older than me, but he's older. Uh he looks good though, man. He's got a black belt in tai, in in tai chi in, in uh, jujitsu, jiu yeah. and, uh, and he's in good he's in good shape. But he, he, we both grew up at a time in Chicago where you could wander without your parents being totally worried about yeah, you twenty four hours a day, and it gave you gave both of us, I think, a certain freedom to explore those kind of stories. We used to hang out in all those bookstores on way up on the north side, you know, just north of Buena Park there. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, I, don't, I want to say on a bridge, but I don't think it was on a bridge. But no, was, on a bridge was further south. It was all those crazy used bookstores. Well, I mean, they used to be lousy with them, you know? I yeah. Mean, well, there were all those crazy bookstores and, you know, like the crazy junk store. I don't know if you've seen American Buffalo, Max, but it's a great that's play. That's where the, And it's set, in, a, set. in an old junk shop. Yeah. shop. And there, were, there, were one, there was one every block in yeah. the old days. Up really? There yeah. And on Belmont Avenue, on West Belmont. Exactly. On Broadway. Clark Street. Yeah. Are those are those still around? Because I feel like mom took me my mom took oh, me to a couple of those. She never met a junk store she yeah. doesn't like. <laughs> I mean, no. I would go in these stores and I just like as a kid, you're not fascinated by old furniture or anything. I'm like, where are the old guns? And yeah. then where are the yeah. old creepy pictures of uh, naked women? Like because yeah. they're yeah. somehow <laughs> in this glass display, there's always like this porn. personal yeah. no, but it was like it's like the equivalent of like a nude on your you, f you come across like an, a nude on your phone and you're like what or on someone's phone you know not not your phone but you're like Oh, it's like a like an old time nude. It was like someone was like, "Take this picture of me naked," and it's like no one's gonna see this. And then, sure enough, yeah. it's on the display. They break up of this junk store. It's on Instagram yeah. an hour yeah. later. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's, that's the one equivalent. Of the, that's to what one it of is. the problems now, and I think, in part, and Max, I feel sort of bad for you about the <laughs> fact that, not in some ways, I'm I'm envious of you in many ways. Sure, sure. But in other ways, that that the city has lost. In our lifetime, Tony, a great deal of character. Amen. Man. You know, and yeah. I'm not saying it's just oh, it was another well, Starbucks. Look what, look but, what they're oh, doing to Western Avenue. I know. 
Well, you well, guys, I mean, are, all these no, you guys, shitty. you guys, you guys have really been in the heart of it. I lived through it in Old Town when yeah. I was a kid. Oh man! But you guys have are really been in the heart of it, man. Where they're just I mean, moving. We're, we're, yeah, th- we're thinking about you know moving the whole thing over to Grand Avenue or to Paris uh, or Humboldt or, or to Paris. Paris. Yeah, or in part wait of Paris, minute. man. Wait a minute, I know what you guys are thinking. Yeah, we're thinking of moving all our stuff to Paris. I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, no, you know what? It's we not just a bad bought, idea. We just bought a huge house in East Humboldt. Park. We live there now. You can always you sell know. a house. You can look at we, the, no, yeah. we can look at the nice Pied a Terre you could get in Paris. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can Airbnb and, we can, <laughs> and live know, in Paris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just go, go, Rick, uh, to address what you said uh, sure. about the city losing its character, I feel like I came in to a time where it still had some character and I think some, you're right. some dignity left. And I think by the time I was like 13 or 14, it all started to really, really change. It's particularly Southport. Look South what happened in our neighborhood when we were on, yeah. uh, in Wrigley. on, on Southport. And, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you guys have been, you guys, both of you, your family, the Fitzpatrick family has been the heart of change. You have been yeah. having to sort of yeah. move to escape it all the time. And Absolutely. I think what's happening, South, we lived in the South Loop I know. before that one, Perrier. Yep. And, what's uh, happening? Well, that, that was kind of, a, it was already sort of changed, you, you know. And, a we just didn't discover bl- it. Yet. A lot of people blame me for you know that that whole stretch down by Thirteenth and Wabash because we put a big art gallery down there and people came to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. World well, it's tattoo. always the. I mean, it has always it has been true since you know I grew up in Old Town. It is the artists who yeah. become the pioneers of neighborhoods because the rents, the rents are cheap. The rents are cheap. They attract interesting restaurateurs, interesting musicians, interesting clubs, interesting businesses. Mm-hmm. And then someone comes in and goes, well, I think I'll build the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum on yeah. Well Street because there are people here. Yeah. I think I will open a Starbucks here. I think the other My thing... My favorite head shop was in Old Town, Max. Yeah, I feel I like mean, there's some... We were in Paris. There's still he some was head looking, shops there. We were in Paris. He was looking for one-hitters, and I was trying to tell him about <laughs> Bizarre Bazaar. Bizarre Bazaar, man. One of the yeah. great emporiums yeah. of uh, craziness. That's the, still not around? No. No. Oh, man. No. no. What, Rick, what was your favorite spot in Old Town? Because I, I know you went to Latin. Did you like the bowling well, I went to roll? LaSalle. For, Did you what? go to LaSalle? Yeah, one of the things. I knew I knew you went yes. there, too. Yes. I helped okay. get you in. Just joking. I know. I, well, I'm not uh, surprised. I, <laughs> I went to LaSalle. I was, I was in second grade when they built the current LaSalle school. I was in second grade in a huge, fabulous Gothic monstrosity that is on the playground, what is now the playground. And so they built LaSalle. What happened, and this is something that helped ruin Chicago, is that when I'm in sixth grade, we get this notice that, uh, well, you and your younger brother, Mark, in fifth grade, we, we have selected your high school and your high school. There were no magnet schools. There were no things. It was all neighborhood boundary yeah. schools. Well, that you, was you, your neighborhood school. You grew up in Old oh, Town. It was yeah. a block away. It was a block. I walked yeah. across a playground to get to my school. Uh, you boys will be going to Cooley High. No Which way. was in the middle of Cabrini Green. When Cabrini Green was starting to get really rugged and drugs were just starting to come yeah. in. And, mm-hmm. and this happened across the city. And a lot of parents were all confronted, as they still are to this day, what are we going to do? We can't afford uh, private school. We have to move to Evanston, Oak Park, yeah. Yeah. Tinley Park, Oak Lawn, someplace to send these kids to a nice private school. 
Thank God my mother refused to move to the suburbs. Latin, when I went there, was $1,000 a year. It's now $35,000 a year. It's more than some colleges. Yeah, it is. But it was still relatively. My father never made a lot of money as a newspaper man, but I'm hoping that 1000 bucks a year didn't kill him in those days. Mm -hmm. So we were lucky enough to stay in the city. But that's one of the other things that fractured the city is what various mayors let happen to the public school system. If the public schools were good, including the clone we got now, oh, he's the worst. Well, talk about the yuppification, and that's all he's done of a city Mm -hmm. and the disenfranchisement of other people in this city. Uh, It is you know he's he's also done something really sneaky, underhanded, and bullshit. He's got everybody in Chicago think that he's running against Trump. That Trump uh, somehow he's yeah. he is standing against he's our savior Trumpism. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. The ICE agents are still dragging people out of Chicago yeah. every fucking no question. Day. No My question. friend Jerry Boyle, the attorney. Sure. Uh, he you know he shouts us at the top of his lungs. We got to get him in here one of yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know Donald Trump all of a sudden is uh, being embraced. Oh, he's turning into it's a sanctuary city. My ass. Yeah. Yeah. He's displaced more people from the city via edict and, and uh, you know, closing down public schools, well, you call it, you know, redrawing, uh, allowing the uh, the wards to become gerrymandered and yep. stuff. Closing the These red line. These guys are the worst. I mean, he's, yeah. well, and then, and, he's and, the worst guy we've ever elected, and that's a long list. And the whole boondoggle of... Really? We really need a faster train to get to O'Hare? Horseshit. We really, really need to expand O'Hare to the level. He's listening to his dickhead developer friends who are selling houses to all the people who are moving back into the city. Well, our kids went to school in the suburbs. Now we're going to move back into the city because well, there's also there's a lot nothing of... cool, uh, you know, west of Harlem Avenue. There really is. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. People, it's a great thing. Everybody moved to the suburbs to escape the uh, you know danger. The stuff they're the paying city. to see now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, look at look at the buildings that rose across in the South Loop where you used to hang yeah. your hat. You know, those huge high rises across from Soldier yeah. Field. It's like Come yeah, on, it's who ridiculous. lives in these things? It's ridiculous. But I think that's one of the things. And they're all really... shitty looking. I mean, what they're doing to Bucktown and Wicker Park. You know, one of the reasons I wrote so many columns about uh, trying to keep the double door there yeah. is it was the last beachhead against the assholes. Yep. You know, um, and pretty soon, who needs a Taco Bell you can buy liquor at? Yikes. Is that what I want to see? That's Projectile insane. vomited gorditas? Yeah. You know, really? Um, Not really. You know, I mean... Uh, well, see, that's why when you guys, and I was so impressed, because I love Paris, too, at, at both of your impressions of Paris and your and your wife, mother, Michelle, when she went there, too... Absolutely. Is This is... A fascinating city on every level. Yes, there are as many rich people living in Paris Absolutely. as there are here, Absolutely. if not more. But it is such a world city. Yeah. It is not a segregated city no. financially, no. religiously, no. ethnically at all. And it's why the most cosmopolitan, for me, even more so than New York. 
Um, I could agree with that. Yeah, I'll give you that. Well, because in New York, you've got Manhattan, which exactly. is what, what I'm afraid people would like Chicago to become. I'm sure Likewise. Rom does. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Rom does. Oh, that's that's his whole, you know, of Manhattan or it's or a playground bust, you know, hey, or Santa know. Monica or something. I mean, Santa I think Monica. He, oh, what he's we're trying too, to do is get yeah. all anybody uh, who's poor to leave the city. Yeah, we want to make it to make it basically a playground for tourists, and by yeah. tourists I mean businesses coming in and and I'm conventioneers so coming in. I'm so glad that George Lucas thinks shit the bed. Ugh. You know, I'm telling you something. I'm not. I'm not totally grabbed by the Obama, uh, uh, Obama museum at all. Nor I. And the fact that you he had what? to come it, in here. Put it in Garfield Park. Yeah. Oh, you know. Put it in Washington Park. Isn't it, it? That way, the police would have to police the neighborhood, yeah. and it would make everything much safer. Yeah. And much more economically viable for the people who live in that neighborhood. And look, I also play or, golf, and I, I, and Jackson Park is one of the most is, is there is no such thing as most unique. It is a unique golf course that should stay the way it is. They don't need Tiger Woods to come in there and combine it with the South Shore nine-hole course to make some kind of world-class golf course. Why is Tiger Woods going to do that? Because he's the big name in golf course design these days. He is? There are no porn stars in Jackson Park. (laughs) Well, he may have given up on that. Uh, He's back in the good graces of people. He's playing again, and people are like, Tiger Tiger sells tickets, man, and he boosts ratings. Yeah. And, And, you know, Me Too... Who knows? That, yeah. You know, look at last night. I mean, you're seeing now that people are are angry at Gary Oldman, and they are certainly why are they angry at Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman had a domestic abuse uh, rep many many yeah. years ago, and also more to the point, Kobe Bryant. Right? Oh, uh, yeah. It's our 24th episode. He won an Oscar. Yeah. Kobe yeah. Bryant wears the number 24. Coincidence? Unbelievable. I don't know. Yeah, we've been um, planning this. They asked me to be on the first show, and I said no. I want to wait till Kobe Bryant wins an Oscar. The Kobe Bryant episode, 24. (laughs) I want to wait till Kobe Bryant wins an Oscar or is arrested for some crime. That was was crazy because me and my friend were joking, like, what if he wins, man? This is going to be crazy. And he won. won, And it was like one of those things. Max was upstairs, so from downstairs I was shouting up at Max. (laughs) Fuck Kobe! (laughs) He likes Kobe. I I never liked him. Well, you know... Well, he. I did. don't like anybody you, who's you, not a bull. You huh? know, I don't like anybody. That's, who's that's not, not true, Golden State. <laughs> I do this like is, those guys. What like the Korean fuck are you talking Patrick about? Patrick is so Chicago. He will not even talk about another basketball player <laughs> unless they spent their entire career. And he doesn't even mention Michael Jordan because yeah, he played for the he Wizards. For the for Wizards. That's it, Michael. We Jordan. like to ignore I'm, that, though. I, I, don't we? Don't we like to pretend that doesn't exist as Chicagoans? Absolutely. I mean, we yeah, it doesn't really. It is not. He did nothing memorable. On Wizards. that team, besides just like shock everybody that he came back. Man, it's always been a shitty franchise too. They used to be the Baltimore Bullets. That's right. Now, yeah. if you're from the city of Baltimore, do you really want your team named Bullets? You know, no. <laughs> it's like um, I, I was spoiled. You know, I mean, during well, we the nineties, we were all spoiled. The, yeah, you, Bulls you won get, six rings, man. Yeah, you get you spoled easily. You get spoiled, I and mean, we would have won more if he hadn't gone off to you know pretend to be a baseball player. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of rumors that he was actually suspended for like gambling. That's right? what I have heard that. Too. Yeah, I've I heard too. that too. I, I can kind of buy that, but David Stern giving up his best player. No, David Stern for made two a deal, years. I, think, I don't know with the Justice Department and everybody. <laughs> you know, no, okay. I mean, Michael w- was such an economic boon to not only Chicago, 
But to the sport of basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he put asses in the seats every city he went to. He was yeah. a larger-than-life figure. Um, that oh, he sold tickets. You man. can make he an argument tickets. for Magic and Bird and, and the, the Converse weapon shoes they had, but until Jordan came with those Air Jordans and just the—he the, he was like—the way ever, he played, it was like art on the yeah, court. Yeah. I mean, and it was around when TV started to actually—they got like a good contract with the television station. And then at this perfect timing, Jordan comes in the league. It's like there's a lot of perfect things that fell into yeah, play for him to be— storm of Face of the NBA, yeah. but he was also the best player. He was One just of the greatest. But, but, but it, what's weird is just how unlikable the guy is. One of the in greatest. real life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole point here is a guy who has a eminent social power, and did he ever, ever speak out no. against anything? No, or for anything but the Jordan brand. I did see no, him doing nothing. Him. I yeah, did you see know, him. And you, when you see LeBron. Oh, I love, I love what LeBron you know, does. How uh, he uses his platform. Well, I've I've read The Jordan Rules by Sam Smith, which is one yeah. of my favorite books about any sort Sam's of sports good, team. Sam's a good reporter, good man. Reporter. Well, he, now he works for the NBA. Yeah, and well, he was talking about how Phil Jackson had to pull Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan aside and talk to them like about the dangers of the Gulf War, uh, the first one. And he also like just talked like they just didn't get it. They were just like, yeah, let's go. Like he was explaining over is like, well, like if we don't do something, they're going to do something to us. Kind of, you know, whatever kind of yeah, warmonger yeah, yeah. mentality yeah. has. And he like Phil Jackson had to like kind of explain like, well, imagine if that was you know, you overseas. He's painting this picture of what it would be like to be, you know, a citizen in the Middle East at that moment. And they kind of, you know, they kind of just agreed to disagree or whatever, there, but it was a, there's one a of myopia. those moments that kind of a, my eyes. They kind of like, agreed to not understand. It's right. Like, right. Yeah. Say, it's like well, someone's coming this... in your house and trying to rape your mother. Do you get that? Do you get it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's bad, I guess, but no one's ever done yeah, that. It's yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's a selective myopia and solipsism about that generation of athletes were a generation before you had Bill Russell, who right. was a trenchant well, and if he, and you even had warrior Bill, and for, even, for civil rights. Who took a pay even cut. Bill Walton, as goofy as Bill Walton yeah. is. I'm yeah, serious, I, I but I mean, Bill. this is totally anti-war. Yeah. You had mm -hmm. you had people with an incredible platform. Craig Hodges, especially you know, who they ran off the team. Yeah, you know? especially yeah. now. Yeah. That's why I do think Max, that what LeBron is doing, you know, the whole shut up and dribble thing is so so awkward, so, so condescending, horrifying. And awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and racist, frankly. Laura Ingram's an asshole. Yes, she yeah. is. Yes, she is. I'll tell you a great Michael Jordan said the only moment that, uh, that I've spent any time with him that was charming, Bill Curtis and his, his girlfriend, now wife, Donald LaPietra, used to have a Christmas party. They got married after like, yeah, they did. dating for, for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years, who knows? Uh, who knows? If you have a 40-year relationship, I don't even want to parse that relationship. They're, ni <laughs> they're nice people, but I don't want to parse the relationship. They you know what? To... I actually like the guy. Yeah. We used, to, we used to goof on him on the loop all the time. I know you did. I'm Bill Curtis. Bill Curtis. You know, there's that <laughs> pregnant pause as if he's trying to examine the enormity of it. I'm Bill Curtis. Curtis, you know, well, he but, is. You know I mean, he is. He's one of the great he's narrators of all time. He's got a great sense of humor about And himself, he is a nice you know? man. He's a nice man. And he did save a little town his near his hometown in Kansas from yeah. economic disaster. But they used to have a Christmas party at their house on uh, Fullerton. 
and they used to invite a wide variety of people. And I'll never forget the year I was invited for a couple of years until I guess I got drunk and insulted somebody. <laughs> but so I'm standing next to the door, and Ann Landers Keep walks in. Kogan away from who the I, Jack yes, Daniels. <laughs> who, yes, we will have no more. Rick, we have run out of Jack Daniels. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> Rick looks his watch. Well, we're time, time to, to go. go. We're time to go. There are a lot of bars on Clark Street, Bill. So. I'm talking to Ann Landers, we're at the little vestibule, and I've, I've used to work with her helping edit her column, and in walks Michael Jordan. And without a pause, he goes up to Epi, who's about, I don't know, roughly five feet tall, grabs her by the shoulders, lifts her up to his mouth, and kisses her on the lips. It was, and no, no cameras, you know, right. no camera phones. It would have been one of the most priceless photographs in history. I would pay real money for that I know photograph. you. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you knew Ann Landers pretty well. Very Ep well. Epi. Yeah, very yeah. well. She uh, is a sad kind of story about newspaper. Here is the most widely syndicated columnist. In history, ever twelve hundred newspapers, and she was working for the Tribune, and she had an editor there. I had known her because she'd known my parents. I, I'd known her since I was five. So her editor at the Tribune leaves, and she calls one day, and here's how she used to talk: "Rick, it's Epi. Oh, hi, Epi. How's everything? Do you know who this new editor is? This Howard Tyner? I go, yeah, he's the new editor of the paper." Well, why won't he return my calls? And I'm thinking, now that is a huge mistake because she makes a ton of money for the Tribune. Uh, absolutely. It turns out he was afraid of her. He didn't want to talk to her. I don't know. So she asked me if I would edit her column. And I said I'd be, I'd be flattered and delighted and honored. And it didn't take any editing. She'd been doing this yeah. for many, many years. So we would occasionally, after that, kind of, you know, go to dinner every once in a while. At one of those dinners, I picked her up at her house on East Lakeshore Drive, and uh, she asked me, she said, now, Rick, wait here. I've, I've got Al Gore is on the phone. This is when Gore was running for president. I said, well, you know, of course he is. She comes out. We go to dinner at the International Club at the Drake Hotel. I said, what did, what did Al Gore want? He wants now, the bone. <laughs> now, do you know, this is when I think whoever Gore was running, it was George Bush said that he once done cocaine. Yeah. Now, what, Rick, explain. Al wants to know whether he should start attacking this cocaine thing. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't know. Now, do you know anything about this? And I'm like going, oh, come on. Please don't ask me that question. So I what, pretend did she I... want to know if he's ever done blow? Or? Yeah. She wanted to know... Well, I said, I, I've known some people who've done that, uh, Epi. Now, explain it to me. How do you do it? How, how is it used? I'm like, okay. So I take a salt shaker, and I empty the salt shaker. What are you doing there? I said, well, it kind of looks like this. It's a little fine grains. Really? Now, what are you doing? I'm taking a credit card, and I'm moving it into... Yeah. Rails. <laughs> now, Epi, You're making rails. Well, I, I was more... I said, these are what are called lines. And Epi's like, well, lines, that's interesting. Now, what do you do? I, I take out, like, a, you know, a $5 bill and roll it up. And Now, what are you doing? I said, well, a lot of people use, like, $100 bills, Epi, for this part of it. And I roll it up, and I lean down, and I'm saying to myself, please, please don't let my muscle memory kick in and yeah, inhale exactly. a bunch of salt. So I lean over, and she goes, now, and you inhale it this way through your nose? I go, yeah. So I lean down. I do not inhale, but when I get up, I realize that there are about... 
I don't know, six or seven tables staring of 80-year-old <laughs> diners staring at me yeah. and Epi doing cocaine <laughs> on the table. Yeah. Uh, but I admired her. I mean, she was always much like oh, stuff. I'm surprised somebody didn't dime into the ink column or something, you know? Dude, because the people who, who Rick go Kogan to that place. Rick and Ann Landers were yeah, doing blow. Well, that's the, what I did say to her. She, I, I said, oh, Jesus, Epi, I'm so sorry. What do you think they think? I said, well, I, you know, they might think that we're doing cocaine together. And she goes, well, good. I hope they do. <laughs> uh, but that was, I mean, she was just interested in, like, studs, yeah, yeah. interested in life. She worked until, you know, maybe the last, she died of cancer, but the, um, maybe the last week of her time on Earth, she was still writing that, still writing that column. And which is a remarkable thing, but she, she's a woman who you know, had. She mm. said once in an interview that one, one of her inspirations to write that kind of column was reading *Miss Lonely Hearts* by Nathaniel West. Sure, well, she was. And a, I loved that book. She was you know. a Democrat. She was. She was from. Uh, she and her twin sister, who became Dear Abby, were from uh, Iowa. And came to Chicago. One of them married a wealthy guy and moved to uh, Minnesota. Litterer. No, that's who she married. That's who that's she who married. Epi married. She married Jules Letter, who was you know they sold pots and pans door to door. Then she got a little involved in Democratic politics. Jules came to Chicago to work for a pen company, you know, giving pens for like you know whatever they call them. You know, I don't know for, you know, if you have a company, the Tony, the Tony yeah, and Max yeah, podcast, yeah. you give them away, you give away okay. pens that say Tony and Max. Oh, right. On. And so she came here and she went to uh, a Democratic uh, the ward boss through a connection with somebody and said, I'd like, no, no, I'd like to volunteer for Democrat. I want to get into Democratic politics. And this guy took one look at her and said, look, lady. You think you're going to get into democratic politics? You're going to wind up at the bottom of the Chicago River. <laughs> really? Then she wound up getting getting that column, and at the time, all that was a dying industry because all kind of advice columns were of a sort. It was really a dying business. It was like no matter what you wrote in about, and it was all women writing yeah, in. It was like Manners. your mom yeah. had an advice yeah, column. Uh, it was usually yeah. like. You know, my just husband. between us girls. Yeah, 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 it was like my husband's an alcoholic. My husband's having an affair. My husband beats me up. Whatever it was, the answers were always, always consistently not from Epi, but before Epi. Buck up, sweetheart. Tomorrow's another day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So she he, he gave you a black eye in your left eye. Hey, look at the bright side. Your right eye isn't blackened yet. <laughs> oh you know? my God. She and she reinvented that column, and Jules went on to found Budget Rent a Car. I mean, it's a it's quite a story. Those two. Yeah, I mean, I I always thought she was pretty fascinating, and oh. you know, I read the columns, and her advice was usually. Pretty good and well, pretty she, progressive. You well, know? you know what she I mean? did. I mean, she, she was... did not. She did not stand for bigots. Nope. She did not stand for guys who would talk mansplain to women. You know, I mean, when she also she is the she changed her mind in print about homosexuality in the yeah. in the fifties and sixties, saying oh, wow. that she had once thought this was like a disease you could be cured of it. Yeah. She totally changed her mind. Wrote an unbelievably moving column. Where someone had written her a letter saying, you know, I feel terrible, I'm a homosexual, and I seem to have no friends, and I'm afraid to tell people. And she wrote a column talking about saying, uh, saying one, of, one of my 
I am. She, it was a response she printed from another guy saying, I'm a, 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 a doctor and uh, I am a brother. I am a son. I am a, yeah. a deacon in my church and I am a homosexual. And that saved it. Also, the first time, arguably the first time the word cancer Think about this, boys. Wow. Appeared in an American newspaper was in her column when she addressed the issue. I swear to God to you, I know it sounds crazy. I know it was Why only would the, they, what, what would be new? The taboo, problem. the great, the great horrible <clears throat> taboo of cancer. Also, certainly the first time the word AIDS ever appeared in yeah. print was in Nan Lander's yeah. column. Wow. Well, uh, well, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan would not utter the word I know. until he lost <coughs> a friend. Yeah, I know. You know, yeah. and uh, it was just. I uh, always this this is what led me to such a hatred of Ronald Reagan is, uh, you know, I mean, we both knew people that. Oh God, uh, Danny Sotomayor. Um, yeah, yeah. Keith Aaron. Larry Sloan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, p- people who were friends of mine. Aaron Gold. Former Aaron Gold from Tower Ticker. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and when I when my work first started selling in New York, I mean, a great many of my collectors oh. were gay people. Yeah. And they were they were just dying by the well, It was score. like a genocide. You know, one of the great things. Well, it was for, a plague. It was yeah. a goddamn plague. One of the great things for you, Max, is is you you don't have to. That medicine has gotten you know better. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. survival is. But it's still. Oh, it's still. better. Oh no, it's still. It's still an issue. It's yeah. still an issue. Yeah. I don't want to diminish that one yeah. bit. Well, it's it's coming back in a big way because Middle America is really into like heroin and stuff, and that's yeah, uh, and absolutely. therefore it's shared kind of needles, kind needles, of catching shared, back. Shared yeah, needles, yeah. Shared you know, needles. one of the things I think that's going to keep Warren Buffett and Bill Gates out of hell is that because of those two guys, a million and a half people in Africa did not yeah. die of AIDS. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're kind of why aren't they running for president? You know, why aren't the you know. Responsible, well, because, socially well, conscious. Well, they don't want to turn into Obama. I mean, if you look at the pictures from Obama, it's like fresh, young, yeah. uh, young man other, willing to take on the other. Now the other sad thing about both those guys, because both those guys, you must admit, do know how to be a businessman. Mm-hmm. Both the two richest people on Definitely. the planet. Absolutely. And But neither of them. I, I've seen them both. I've seen a wonderful documentary about Warren Buffett. They don't have the sad pizzazz. Yeah. That gets you elected. Yeah. And they don't have the big personality that I'm sadly think you do. Except Rom doesn't have a big personality. It's oh, no. S- no personality. Yeah. But not. certainly to run for president. Certainly to run for president. That that charismatic kind of thing. Do you think he Somebody wants to said- be the mayor of Chicago forever? Absolutely. I mean, because I've heard, I've heard the, the best thing you could ever be in politics is the mayor of Chicago. I don't know if that's true anymore. You have an incredible <laughs> amount of discretionary power, and I'll tell you why. Because not like the patronage days, though, Tony. Not, no, not but like when, that, when, yeah. when Richard J. Daley oh. was the mayor of Chicago, he had more power than John F. Kennedy. He uh, w- was an amazing, had an amazing ability to sway and manufacture votes. The only reason... Kennedy ever got elected is two guys that my father personally knew 
drove a truck full of votes to Mount Olivet Cemetery and put them in a mausoleum. Wow. A You're going to get waxed for this, dude. A million and a half yeah, foot. Everybody knows. You're snitching. Too late. You know? too late. Too late. <laughs> and everybody, everybody who did it is dead now. Oh, so, okay, I think know. one of the things for Rum, Rum at, Rum at one point during that first term really believed, and I heard this from a number of people. That he was presidential timber? Yeah, that he was going, that he wanted, that he wanted, and thought that he might be able to become the first Jewish president of the United States. Hmm. That's gone away. That's gone. Absolutely, away. Wow. yeah. And he's too. Tiny. And should have. Um, Laquan McDonald. They're, they're and, yeah, I agree. I'm worried and people, that people can people are forgetting forget about that. that. But I'm worried people are. Uh, it's, not, it's scary. And well, you know what? It and all they depends. Shouldn't, and they shouldn't elect Gary McCarthy either. Oh, God, no. But I, just, it I, all depends just who, think... if anybody, runs against him. You know, Troy, any one of the people, there are a number of people who are running, even Gary, who would chew him alive in a debate, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but it's just a matter of someone willing you got to make some big sacrifices to become mayor. you got to ask a lot you know, of I like for Troy. a lot of money. So Wait, Dad, well, let me cut you off for like person. one minute. Could I get one? I have to pee so bad, okay. dude. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, sorry. Don't, be sorry. Yeah. don't be sorry. sorry Tony, and I have been, Tony and I have had many conversations <laughs> over the years. I think we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. That makes great radio, ladies and gentlemen. Great radio. But yeah, I like Troy, too. But think Can he govern? That's my big question. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, you know, the other, you know, Ron was a congressman. Trump was a so-called businessman. Yeah, more, if Ron, you can, but if, Ron, even as a congressman, Ron was more of a political operative than a, a policy I, I still think that... Did, what, what was Ron's big piece of legislation that he passed while he was in Congress? I am not... Is there... Yeah, can I he hang his hat on any Passing of a piece of legislation and running a city, Tony, I think the difference being that if you surround yourself with good people, uh, knowledgeable people who have run things. You know, what? look at his first two schools. Look at Rom's first two school superintendents. You know, Jean-Claude Brizard and, and Barbara, Barbara Bird, Bird Bennett, Bennett, who's in, the pokey who's in jail. Yeah. Who's in jail, who's not a bad woman, but obviously a very bad woman. I mean, I like Barbara. She was a nice person. But he, he can't even hire good people in Rome. No. You know, and that's the real problem. No. If you, want to- I, I worry though that this Vallis clown is going to have all kinds of currency because I remember Paul Vallis. I know when he was the head of the schools here, and uh, they were fucked up. And oh, they yeah. were awful. And he seems to only fail upwards. He went down to New Orleans and like, well, he rebuilt New Orleans. He you know, the school system. It's like bullshit. A million and a half people didn't come back after Katrina. Well, so we live. We live in a world where people continue to fail upward. Yeah, and it's like you know, politics has become, and journalism and a lot of other industries. It doesn't happen so much in the arts, but it can happen. Oh, it does in the arts. <laughs> Big but people time. do. You wind up failing upward. You're you're a coach who who uh, coach a team to a 4-12 record, and you get fired, and a buddy of yours will hire you as the offensive coach Well, the somewhere. Cubs just hired, the Cubs just paid a lot of money for uh, Vu Darvish, you know, who's yeah, who had 10 a really and 12. Sp- and had a spectacular World Series, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like... Yeah, I know, I know. I'm I know. back. 
But you were reminding me, all these old coaches that get fired, but then get to be assistants. If you look at all the assistant coaches in the NBA, they were all main player coaches back in the day. It's like the it's the Chicago the Chicago patronage system was was shattered and it's just like resurrected itself in professional sports. Absolutely, Um, yes. Who do we got for mayoral timber right now? It's Rom and I don't know if Gary's going to run. I don't know if Vallis' son just died sadly at a rehab uh, place in California. I'm very sorry to hear that. 24 I, years old. I don't like Paul Vallis yeah. one bit, but, but I don't, you know, I don't wish. Deserves, oh, of course not. Don't be I don't deserves, wish that on anyone. Choi might be back. Chewy? Chewy? Nah, he won't. No, no. Chewy's running for senator. He's going to be a congressman, I think. Oh, wow. He's going to be a congressman. I think it's Troy. You know, there's nobody. Oh, boy, but man, these guys have to raise a lot of money. That's the problem. Rom's got a bankroll of 40-some million dollars, I think. Really? Yeah. And He spent 30 last time. I know. I know. Winning a city election. I know. I, it's grotesque. And yeah. and when you look what, you know, J.B. Pritzker was a friend of mine. I'm, I'm staying sort of out of it in the political race. But when he, when Bruce Rauner and J.B. Pritzker. Why did he run for mayor? It's a good question. Why I don't did know. Chris Kennedy run for mayor? I think he lives in Wilmette. That's, I think that's one problem. Yeah. That would be that would be the that would be the that, principal. Yeah, that, That'd be the principal. He could move to Chicago. Well, Rom grew up in Wilmette. When uh, that's oh, tell me about it. Yeah. When uh, when when the two lead, the race has not even started. There's a Democratic primary mm-hmm. and a Repu- so-called Republican primary. They've each spent roughly something like sixty million dollars each. You know, Scary. I'm waiting for the journalist to raise his hand and say, you've spent all this money campaigning. Why would you not try to solve some of the ills oh, of this city? Well, at least J.P. Do you is. know what $60 million could do yep. for the Chicago public yep. school system? <gasps> I know. I mean, for me, for me, it begins and ends with the school. I agree, It Tony. begins and ends with teachers and nurses. Yep. And cops and firemen, because you know what? That's what holds the civilization together. Yeah. I mean, what the city also needs are the, instead of the big dreams of having Amazon have its headquarters here, which I think would be a thousand times worse than the Lucas Museum coming here. the whole notion of my bosses of not <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe your artwork could go up the uh, but of of starting to build some kind of factories or, or workplaces in some of the beleaguered neighborhoods. Yes, it's nice to have a Whole Foods in Englewood, but it's a lousy Whole Foods. And why is that's there? Not, that's not the kind of jobs people need. Why isn't right? there like a Nike shoe factory in Chicago? Because why Mike, did Michael Jordan not say, "Hey, oh, you know but, what?" Well, we know why Michael Jordan. Yeah, Republicans because buy Ma- shoes too. Well, because the other thing, Michael Jordan—that's a really good point. Michael Jordan he at one said, point, hey, you know, and he might still have the clout, even though he doesn't live here anymore, to say, "Look, I know you make the shoes are cheaper in you know Taiwan or wherever you're making them, or you know uh, Vietnam, or open a distribution I want center. You here. to build a Nike factory here." I in want Chicago. my shoes yeah. to be made in Chicago. 
I cannot believe that he would not have the clout to make that happen. Not yeah. the world's biggest Nike factory, but a factory. He could make it happen easily. I agree. I, don't think, just, I, think, I think he still could. I, I mean, you say, I think you're right. You ask if he still has the clout. He but, definitely does. But I mean, Max, not just Michael. I think LeBron could. I think Steph Curry could. I think. Uh, I think they all could. You're right. Wow, that's a good point. Durant. Yeah. So I, I think any, so are, any is number LeBron, of guys. Is LeBron doing as much as he can, or can I he? Think you know what? He does a lot in the community. A, he's man. putting a he ton has. of kids through college. He's, yeah. he's, he's paying is, tuition, you know, yeah. for, mm-hmm. well, for a lot, a lot of kids, of kids. Yeah. a yeah. lot of kids, a lot of kids. And I think they, you know, that's, you know, who in God's name needs to die with forty or fifty or three million dollars in the bank, man? No. I mean, it's not at all. It's incredible. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't either. I don't. Well, going back to Jesse Ventura, he, pro- he he proposed a maximum wage that no one should ever have more than a hundred million dollars. So I don't Huey know how Long, that works out, but so did Huey Long, and he was assassinated by a dentist. <laughs> Okay. The only political. So were they? Were, were both these guys? Were both these guys crazy wrong, or was no. there, did they have a point? No, but the minute he well, look, piped up with that, even, the problem being, we don't even tax people who make exorbitant amounts of money. Right. No, 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 right. Fairly. Right. No. There's no fair system here. This world is. Uh, let's all move to Paris, man. You know what? I gotta <laughs> tell you. Uh, one of the greatest things about being there, and I know me and Max talked about this when we were there, is we unplugged from the 24-hour news. Yeah, that, yeah you, you sounded so happy having yeah. done that. Oh, both it was, uh, it was both beautiful. Of you. It, it was, was beautiful. And uh, it, this, I've been making all this new art about yeah, no. having been in Paris. And, you know, the... Uh, the surreal dream, you know, make-believe stuff just wafts into you in that city because it's one of the cradles of surrealism. It's one of the uh, places where the most magical poetry was written on this planet. Um, it's also one of the places that you both pointed out to me that it, that uh, politics and activism are right on the surface, man. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, they, are, absolutely. they are right there. Mm-hmm. You know, people they, aren't allowed to lobby. Yeah, you know, not there, not England. Not, uh-huh. you know, it's it's a crime, and you can go to jail for it. It's called influence peddling. Yeah, and um, which is what lobbying is. And you know, they had the good sense not to elect Le Pen. Mm. And Macron, a lot of people are not crazy about him because he's basically like a Republican. Yeah, but at least he is not. Uh, he is more like your kind of Mitt Romney Republican, um, which I find repellent. But it could have been far, far worse. I mean, France uh, took more refugees. France and Germany. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And there's a huge tent city uh, and, and homeless population. And you know what the city does at night? They send out trucks with bags of food for people. And uh, there was some... Awful flooding toward the end of our oh, state. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw your pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we 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 saw a little bit of it in the city. We saw that the Senate rose and and it had been kind of tough there. But once we were on the train for my last day of shooting, and we started going south of the city, mm-hmm. they got clobbered. I mean, they got you know there was water up to the top of the garages and uh, um. But the the thing I noticed about the French is that. They don't get mired in all of the bad news. Um, 
they find a way to uh, uh, extol and, and revere what, what's wonderful in their lives every yeah. day. You know, I think so. you two guys, I have an idea for you two guys. I think you both, for about the next six months, should undergo some v immersive French language lessons. And then tell Michelle, we're, we're going to do this. Do the podcast in French. <laughs> no, and you call it, and you call it Les Americains en Paris. And you do it in France. Every single podcast is the adventures of Les Americains, which will be you two boys, in Paris. It's not a bad idea. In Paris, you do it in French and in English. Yeah. In or French have someone translate it. Maybe speak French to the best of our abilities. I think oh, no, six I, months is, is a good I, enough time to get I think you will be great. I, I Je think, parle un peu français. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good start. Uh, and uh, I, I also think that the French would so appreciate that effort. Because I, that's the thing. Everybody's like, I ah, walked in every hate. night and I said, I uh, bonsoir, comment allez-vous? Yeah, people are like, no, no, people are running away. <laughs> no, they were, this they is were, my idea they for were the Fitzpatrick. Yeah, tell Michelle, to me, tell Michelle you know? with all you know due respect and love for her that this is my idea for you boys. Michelle's not adverse to the idea of going and staying in Paris. Well, really Mom will listen it. to this and she'll be she'll be on us now. She likes. She'll say oh, good I ideas. Always, I always <laughs> you know, I always knew Rick was a genius. <laughs> oh, she adores you. I adore her, man. I both adore both her. her and my mother. My mother and your sisters man. and my sisters, mm -hmm. they all thought Rick was a good influence on me. <laughs> you know, like, is he not? And Rick Hogan was such a good influence. But well, not, not early on. How did you? On. Wait, wait, wait. Before we before we wrap, how did how did you guys meet? I don't think we. I'll tell you we, exactly how yeah. we met. Okay. Uh, my father was scheduled to speak in an event at the at Second City uh, on Well Street, right on uh, in the memorial for Nelson memorial Aldrin. for Nelson Aldrin, and he got sick. Uh, and so he asked me to fill in for him, which I was, was happy to do. And I kind of knew Nelson, and Nelson dated my aunt, and not a happy relationship, but I certainly knew Nelson. And so I did. And I had been asked by the Washington Post to file a story for them on the memorial. So I'm downstairs on the phone in the old days, Max, dictating my story over the phone. And this uh, young man, uh, I don't know if he'd uh, stopped somewhere or, or had drinks at the place. Oh, we have <laughs> Kept grabbing my arm. Kept going, Let me talk to you for a second. And I go, no, I, I've got, I'm filing a story here. Don't look at I got this amazing picture I've drawn of Nelson. And I'm going, yeah, that's great. I, it's a great, it was done a ch weird charcoal drawing. One of your dad's earliest works. If I still had it, and I may still have it, I think I do still have it. It's actually worse. It's oh, it's cake. probably worth yeah. five million dollars. Uh, well, I could, no, I could move to good, Paris. Good. Well, I like to fantasize, Tony. Uh, <laughs> then I could move to Paris to be your producer. Uh, and so finally, we got off the phone, and Tony literally poured out his heart about his affection for Nelson and how Nelson had influenced many, oh, at his point, many of his worldviews about boxing and about the, about the, do, about about the downtrodden. And yeah. uh, 
that is how we met. I think we kind may, of shaped we the way may I saw have the gone, world. We may have gone across the street for another drink, but even at, you know, at nineteen, your dad was an okay drinker. He was never <laughs> one of the greats. He was never one of. He'll admit that to you. Yeah, and I'm absolutely. glad he's. I'm also that's one of the reasons I'm very glad he stopped drinking too. Uh, yeah, you know, me and some, me and brown liquor just it oh, just is not. Oh, I know. It, yeah, no, I know. It just good I, for know. Me, you know? I know. I know. Man, Mixed, you did you know who? he was before you went up to him oh yeah okay. yeah yeah okay. tony yeah. had sat in tony had watched seen the memorial here. okay yeah, and i also i also Somehow. read his column uh religiously he had a column back in the day called dr nightlight right which was right. about bars but he also and, wrote about bars and uh yeah cabarets and some art stuff, art and, stuff yeah. and you know he really got around and kind of knew where all the bodies were buried you know nice and, it was um, fun man it's been a fun it's been a fun career as long as and will be absolutely as long as as, uh, as long as newspapers last, then I will you know become what? the then I will become the producer of the Les Americana Paris. There you podcast. go. That's a good idea. <laughs> been downloaded by next year at this time. Man, let's say two years from this time, it will have been downloaded three hundred million times across the planet. Take that, my dad wrote a porno. Yeah, yeah, totally. Take that, my yeah, dad. Take that. take that. We did something cooler. Couple of, Ameri- couple of Americans open a hot dog stand in Paris. Okay. Hey, Rick, I need oh. to ask you to back off my job, buddy. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just. But then again, I'm just. I'm just pretending I could no more produce a podcast than guest on a podcast. Yes. Um, well, with that said, you were a great guest. Oh, absolutely. you guys. Absolutely. And thank you so much. And please tell us you'll come back. I will. I love it. Awesome. Well, it's the Fitzpatrick family. I want to be on here with, with your wife and your mom. And we'll talk about. We could do that. My yeah. sister would love to talk. Oh, to you, I'm I haven't sure. seen your oh, sister. Yeah. I haven't seen Gavi in ages. But I really have. I've known you, Max, since probably you were born. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And since Tony, since he was tiny kid. Tony, since he was 19, and at a time it was unimaginable he could ever have a wife or children <laughs> yeah, exactly. or yeah. a podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. you've always been uh, a champion in 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 my dad, my dad's corner, my corner, and just it's my a, whole family's yeah, corner. Yeah, it's it, been, this whole, hey, this whole great. city. We need that. It's easy. This, this whole city's corner. It's easy. Aww. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Thanks for being here. Max Fitzpatrick of the Max and Tony Show. We just want to thank you guys for tuning in to our 24th episode. Sponsored by Forbidden Root Beer. Next time you're in Chicago, check out their brewery on 1746 West Chicago Avenue. Big shout out to Parkwalk Productions, home of the Max and Tony Show. Don't forget to check out Adventureland Gallery and the Dime Showroom at 1513 Northwestern. We are currently showing Veiled Landscapes by David Obermeyer. If you want to get caught up on old episodes or see where this one came from go to the max and ask us questions you know tune in next time for our 25th episode 25 
California to my sweet home, Chicago.